In John 8.32, Jesus says, The truth will set you free. If freedom is what comes from knowing God, why do so many people act like they are chained to their beliefs? Follow me on this one. If knowing God and the truth that comes from that relationship sets you free, then if you are chained, you probably know more about that other person. In fact, Satan throughout history has sought to chain, imprison all of creation. From a single bite out of a fruit through dogmatic human, often political interpretations of scripture. While we're waiting for numbers on a head or forehead, the spirit of the Antichrist, like spiritual cancer, is already eating away at our beliefs because we've strayed away so far from this truth, the truth of freedom, that we can't even recognize God. The only way we will know God is to go back to Scripture and do that in prayer, give up our human biases and leanings, and find out what Scripture really says. No more labels like conservative or liberal, just Christian, those who find Christ and are willing to change because they now recognize truth. I'm Michael Mueller, and this is Sabbath School University. Offering information for your mind. Enabling transformation for your heart. Sabbath School U, a weekly dialogue exploring God's Word and its application for today's world. Welcome back to Sabbath School University, and today we are featuring a very controversial topic. And we have an excellent group of panelists here, and I'm eager to see what we're going to come up in this controversial lesson. <laughs> Share with us a little bit about yourself, maybe um, a childhood career dream that you had. Hi, my name's Nathaniel Gibbs, and um, actually when I was young, um, I wanted to be a Roman Catholic priest. <laughs> now that is... <laughs> A very unique thing to say. Yeah, I was actually raised Catholic, became an atheist, and then became a Christian. So um, when I was a little boy, I just wanted to, you know, serve God. And then I stopped thinking that he was real. And then when I started thinking he was real again, I wanted to get back into the ministry. Um, it just happened to be, I'm going to be a preacher instead of a priest. You went from Christian to atheist and back to, wow. to Christian. And you are becoming a pastor now. So that is... By God's grace. <laughs> Well, I'm Casper Houghton Jr. Um, let's see. Growing up, I wanted to be either one of two things: um, a basketball player, professional basketball player, like uh, the NBA player uh, back in the '90s, David Robinson, mm -hmm. um, and either that or um, a doctor, a medical doctor. I didn't know what, but kind of a stereotypical childhood. Stereotypical. Very good. Yeah, a big star. <laughs> yeah, big star or a doctor. Big yeah. star. <laughs> Very good. My name is Autumn Osterman, and I always wanted to be a vet. From the time I was a really tiny kid, I always wanted to be a vet. And I can't stand blood for people, so I can never be a doctor, but I love watching animal surgeries. I, I don't know. It, it was different. <laughs> and it wasn't until almost peculiar. my first year of college that I actually changed that career and 
I went to teaching instead. <laughs> okay. So now you're dissecting brains of people. And right. Well, not, not really, literally, but, right. Uh, <laughs> you're filling brains with stuff. That's right. I actually, um, my mom tells this story, and, and I don't know if it's true or if she just, I don't know, just exaggerated it over the years. But apparently she said as a, as a small kid, I must have said, I want to be a preacher, a farmer, or a regular human being. That's apparently what... <laughs> As if preachers and farmers aren't regular human beings. Something like that. Yeah. When I can, the thing that I can remember later on, my name is just so unusual that I wanted to be a soccer star because there was a guy that had my name. Oh, and yeah. he was goalie for the nice. German national team and he had my name. Nobody else in the world has my name. So that was one famous person. Unfortunately, I'm pretty short in statue, so <laughs> goalie doesn't really work out to be that great. So <laughs> that didn't really fly. <laughs> Yeah. Let's start our discussion this morning with the word of prayer and our text. And Casper, you said you were going to read that for us. Yes. Our key text um, comes from uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3 in the ESV. It says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we can't come to your word without first thanking you for your presence here right now. Your Holy Spirit guiding our thoughts and teaching us, bringing us into all truth. Because you said that where you are lifted up, Jesus, you will draw them into you. So as we enter into this discussion that uh, has some controversy around it, uh, I just pray that your spirit guide us through all of it, that we might lift you up. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. The heading in my Bible here says, The Man of Lawlessness. <laughs> and that already kind of sets the tone of an antagonistic kind of lesson that we're going to be dealing with, and that is controversial. Hmm. So what is the passage about? What kind of is the topic that uh, Paul is addressing in this chapter as we're diving right into it? Uh, as I was reading it, it seemed, it seemed like Paul was talking to uh, a people group who were misdirected, misguided, I guess you could call it, in their purpose for being Christian. Um, he, was, he was calling them back to uh, a pursuit of truth, their first love, instead of following all these random tangents about, hey, Jesus could be coming here. Hey, the man of lawlessness could be here. It seems like he was calling them to, to, to a central focus mm. as Christians. And I think in helping give that focus, he's kind of giving actually a very detailed list kind of of things to look for or mm. little little points that don't let this one miss you by. You know, this mm. is a very key component in last day events. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of, you know, a a very gentle way of being able to help a person to see this is what's coming about. You know, this is what you can expect, that Jesus is coming soon, but there's some key events that have to happen before he can actually come. How is that relevant to us today? It's, it's almost as if Paul is saying, um, don't get caught up looking towards the future that you miss your mission for today. Mm -hmm. Um, and yes, you're looking for this sign and this sign and this sign and this, that sign, but in the end, don't get caught away by it. 
I don't know. I kind of struggled with, with the it's, essential purpose in there. I, it is difficult. I also think though, like he's, it's kind of like if you think about like the Christians of that day, like the Roman Empire. It's like powerful. Mm -hmm. They might be focusing on like the emperors as being the bad guy, mm. or maybe yeah. you know some some power that's going to come. But when you read it, he's saying what's really dangerous is it's, it's like falling away, yeah. mm -hmm. something from within, mm -hmm. almost mm -hmm. like a. Christian power mm. and he's saying mm. be careful of this you know don't worry about these outside things it's yeah. coming from within you mm. need to watch yourself you need to be careful it, it, like it could happen right now it says that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work mm -hmm. not worrying about the future you could be swept away right now you could be like oh these all these things need to happen and until they happen I'm good or it's gonna happen so now I better take care of myself you if you're not focusing on on loving the truth you might be swept away so I think he's trying to warn them don't worry about like all these other things because mm -hmm. the real big problems you could be tricked by somebody that looks like they're Christian mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm remember I'm sorry <laughs> I was remembering uh, the illustration where uh, you know it said you know a thief a thief doesn't come in the day he doesn't come when you expect it he comes when you least expect mm -hmm. it and if Satan's going to try to deceive us mm -hmm. It, if we're all looking in one direction, saying we're waiting for this sign to happen, that's just saying almost to Satan, um, okay, here's a back door where you can also get in, because mm -hmm. we're not looking that direction. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you ask the question, how is this relevant today? If this was an issue in Paul's day, and he, you know the concern then, how much more relevant is it on our mm. day as we're on the very brink of Jesus coming soon? Right. And, I, and I think you know, going back to what Nate was saying is, what is really the core issue here? You know, that it's about us not going off on all of these different tangents, but actually focusing on a matter of a heart of being actually ready and prepared as we're on the very edge of eternity now. Mm. The, you've already summarized some of it. The first, the, the church that Paul is writing to in First Thessalonians, uh, they were worried that uh, Jesus wouldn't wouldn't come. That Jesus hadn't come yet. What's the matter? What's wrong? Mm. And some of us are dying. Mm -hmm. What's the What's the matter? Mm -hmm. And P Paul has to reassure them and say, you know, it's okay that some of us are falling asleep. They will be resurrected mm -hmm. when Jesus comes again, and some of us will be alive, and that's okay too. And we will both go together. There's no advantage or disadvantage for this, mm -hmm. for this. And they're still struggling with some of the things about Jesus's return. They're expecting Jesus to come, and now Jesus hasn't, still hasn't come yet. Yeah. And Paul has written some letters, and some more letters, and some more letters, and and he hasn't come yet. And so they're struggling with this. And so some start to say, well. Maybe he's come already, secretly. Mm -hmm. You haven't seen him yet. Mm. And uh, this is kind of the issue that's brooding there, some some different interpretations of what. And Paul says, come back to the truth. That's, right. that's the come back to scripture. And that truth is, uh, I'm thinking back to, uh, what is it, Matthew 24, uh, where Jesus says, um, I'm here are the signs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jesus laid it out clearly. He, he also said, uh, don't let anyone deceive you. Uh, and I think Paul is reminding um, the people of the things that Jesus said mm -hmm. there. Don't be deceived. Matthew yeah. 24 has a very close connection to this chapter. Yes, yes it is. Okay. As we dive into some of these verses here, what is the controversy that is being revealed here? What, are, what is this controversy about? Hmm. Well, I think there's one interesting thing, is if you look at verses 3 and verses 4, 
He starts with, let no one deceive you, which is very similar to what Jesus said. But mm -hmm. Paul kind of gives more explanation than what mm -hmm. Jesus does in Matthew mm -hmm. 24. It's almost like he's making commentary on what Christ was talking about. And he makes an important point that it's a falling away. Mm. And then it's a man of sin. So many times we worry about like an antichrist that some secular power or some atheist or something else. But the Bible is saying what's worse is this falling away, a man of sin, and even uses like uh, the son of perdition, which is similar to Judas. Mm -hmm. So like a traitor type figure is coming. So this is obviously a Christian power because if I'm going to make a counterfeit, I'm not going to make a counterfeit $3 mm. bill. I'm going to make a 20, which is one of the, you know, that's what comes out in the ATMs. It's readily used. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make a counter. So if Satan's smart, he's not going to, like, use the Roman Empire. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be Nero. Nero's mm -hmm. obviously not Christian. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's an obvious thing. He wants to trick people, so he's going to use a falling away, a Judas-type figure. And then it goes on, to says, it goes on to say that he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing that he himself is God. Mm -hmm. The Roman emperors started doing that already. You know, so this this one's going to be a Christian power that's going to go beyond what the Roman Empire even did, because the Roman emperor, Nero, claimed to be God, mm -hmm. but he didn't do it in the temple of God. Mm -hmm. And so it goes on to say, remember, um, I was talking to you about these things. There's this restraining power, and then there's going to be a mystery of lawlessness coming out. Well, obviously, the Roman Empire, Nero is not going to allow a Christian power to come up onto the scene and claim his prerogative for calling himself God. So there has to be this movement within the church where they're going to get proud, and they're going to get secular, and they're going to try to do stuff that God didn't ask them to do. Mm -hmm. And he even kind of talked about in 1 Thessalonians. He said, listen, I'm not doing this for my own glory like some other people coming. So the mystery of lawlessness that's already at work, he can work in any one of our hearts. Mm -hmm. is where we start taking the prerogatives of God by judging other people, condemning other people, mm -hmm. um, looking at their heart, start telling people, I know what truth is, I know what's right and wrong more than you. And then you just start exalting yourself slowly but slowly, just like what Lucifer did when he fell. Mm -hmm. And so the Christian church is starting to, I think, Part of the Christian church is he's warning them this is, could be very dangerous. It's going to come, and we need to watch out for that because it's going to sound and look like Christianity. Let's just put this in practical terms. Sorry, but uh, um, are, are you suggesting this is an entity that we're looking for somewhere in the world? Or is this something that is this this lawlessness something that's around us uh, within our context? You know. Obviously, Paul is saying that there's an entity here, that it will be revealed. But what, what could happen is you focusing on someone else, mm. that the spirit would be working in you, and you would be doing the work that you're afraid of by focusing on someone else, mm. by becoming you know, someone that is unforgiving or judgmental or exalting themselves or looking as if, you know, putting themselves in the position of God, mm -hmm. and you might not even think you're doing as you're focusing on some other entity yeah. that is supposed to be the bad guy, when you yourself in your own context could be the, the one that you know the devil's using. I'm sure yeah. Judas was always focusing on other people hmm. were being bad when he himself yeah. was doing the work that was betraying Christ. Yeah. I like I like what you said because so often it's, we want to look for this person with these criteria. Hmm. And, and while that's not always absolutely wrong, it's that we forget the, mm -hmm. the things that are really the concern of the passage. And the passage already presents it as if there is a present tense. Something is happening already. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a general mood. And uh, it does talk about the deceiver. So but Satan can use any entity from any angle. So it's not about necessarily, I find, pinpointing mm -hmm. 
this is it and this, it can only be that. Uh, I like what you said, that gives us that single focus towards mm. a direction rather than looking broad and saying it's these characteristics that make this, mm. um, that this deception that creeps into the church. And so it can be all around us. It can be something specific at times, but it can also be something that we're all in danger of. Mm. Interesting. So when we move from this, uh, this idea of this going around to everyone and move to the next verses here, um, how does this controversy resolve? It, it goes into verses 8, uh, 9, and 10 and talks about truth. How does truth and lawlessness work together? I think what we've been talking about quite a bit right now is this whole concept of it being a deception. You know, it's something that's subtle. It creeps in there. So how, for me today, can I have the confidence that maybe I'm not going to be deceived. What, you know, we can talk about, like you said, maybe we can't identify all the little characteristics, but is there something that's going to protect me from being deceived? When you look at the passage here of how Paul starts to conclude this, he talks about in verse 10, he says, and with all unrighteous deception, there we see that deception again, among those who perish, and then he gives the reason why they were deceived, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. That word saved in the Greek is not like the salvation in the sense of Jesus saving, but a, a saved as in being protected from, from being duped, being deceived. And when you look at that concept of loving the truth, you know, it's more than Paul just saying they heard the truth, mm. but you love it, you embrace it, you make it a part of who you are. And I wonder if these people who it's more, they love sin, they love worldliness rather than embracing the knowledge of saying, I want to know what the Bible says. I want to so emerge myself into this word and to make it a part of who I am, that that truth becomes a part of me. And if that truth becomes a part of me through the through the Holy Spirit's indwelling, then I can be sure that I won't be deceived in the last day. And maybe Paul's whole focus here of this passage is not to get people to look so much at, you know, this this man of lawlessness or these powers that are going to be creeping up, but what is the what is the antidote or the remedy from mm -hmm. not being deceived? And he really wants to focus the Thessalonian believers on what that key idea is. Mm. It's, it's interesting because Jesus, when he came, he said, I'm the way, the truth, That's right. and the life. Mm. So when you love the truth, it's not abstract ideas or a set of beliefs or a system of doctrine. It's a human, it's it's a human that's being right. that's yeah. the God-man. That's right. It's God and man coming down and, and embodying you know, just pure love. Mm. So falling in love with the truth is falling in love with Jesus. Yeah. So I think a lot of people... Um, say they have the truth, but the real question is, the truth have them? Mm -hmm. Does it grab their heart? Is it changing them? Because mm -hmm. you can sit there and list off a bunch of abstract points that you can show that you're more right than somebody, mm -hmm. but does that mean you're right? Mm -hmm. You can be more right and be completely wrong yeah. and completely have the spirit of the man of lawlessness. Wow. It's, it's a hard question that I'm asking myself right now as I'm listening. Am I in love with the idea of truth or the person mm -hmm. of truth. And I think the next question is, can do we show that we love the person? Hmm. Um, I've heard from, from other people and uh, that are very much, 
this is what's going to happen and here's a timeline and rundown and angry beasts and blood and thirst and all of that. And that's all they have to share with people. Mm. Mm. But they don't feed the homeless. They don't yeah. care for the sick. They don't visit, visit the imprisoned. They don't care for other people except to say, here is the truth, accept it or die. And then something mm. has been lost. The one that gives the truth has been lost in the process of, I have the, the truth. truth. Mm. Mm -hmm. So true. Uh, yeah, I think it's very important. The truth, real truth, should change you. That's right. Like, I don't think it's wrong. Obviously, God put those beasts and things in Revelation that teach us some things, but maybe it's more the contrast between the beast and the lamb, mm -hmm. a beastly power and how it acts. And so it could be dangerous if we so focus on the beast that by beholding you become changed into a beast. Mm -hmm. And I think the focus in Revelation should be on the lamb. doesn't mean you need to ignore or not understand these things, but it's supposed to be a contrasting thing. You understand beastly power and lawless men and antichrist, so that not that you sit there and dwell on it, but that you see the difference between this deception and the true. Basically, when a count, uh, someone is trying to protect against counterfeiters, they don't study all the counterfeits. They study yeah. the genuine. And they study it so much that when a fake comes, they're so in love with like, you know, not in love with, but they so know the $20 bill that when there's something wrong, they're like, that's not genuine. Mm -hmm. And so we should be so in love of Jesus that when something comes that's not of him, even if it has miracles and wonders and does wonderful things, they were like, you know what, that... There's just something not right there. Hmm. There's something the Spirit just says something in our being that's saying, when you read the scriptures about Christ, the way that person's behaving, even though it looks good on the outside, it just doesn't have Christ's Spirit. Hmm. And I think you look at the whole, the context as we were talking about Revelation. What does the very first verse of Revelation say? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when people talk about Revelation, they're like, oh, that's the book of beasts, right? No, mm -hmm. that's the book of the Lamb like you were talking about. Yeah. And maybe it's the concept where you look at, you know, the devil's um, maybe distractions to try to get people to look in the wrong place. So he's getting them to focus on all of these, these things that even may not be wrong in their own sense, but they take our eyes off the Lamb. Mm -hmm. And we're to, supposed to look at Christ, who's the author and the finish of our faith. The only way that we're going to be able to make it through the time is the end, is not to focus on on the, the powers or you know the scary things that are happening, even though those can be key indications that Jesus is coming soon. But is our focus on the Lamb? Is it on Jesus who is going to see us through? And who's, who's going to perfect in us a character mm -hmm. that is going to see us through to the end? That takes a lot of faith, though, to give up the control that we can have over each other as Christians saying, mm. you're wrong, and here's how you can be better. Uh, to, to then say, to embody this idea that we're, we have, that we're talking about here and saying, I trust that Jesus is working on you. I trust that Jesus is working on you. But that's, that's a hard thing to do in actuality in our churches. It was actually interesting. I have a friend, and we were just talking, and... They were pointing out something like a couple of things they did wrong, like it just you know just certain things, um, and I the way they presented it wasn't as if they were trying to like one up me, 
Hmm. And so I was just like, wow, I really want this as a, they're a real friend. Hmm. It's not like, oh, they're trying to put me down. They're like, they wanted me to be better. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. Like I said something wrong in a sermon. It was like, next time do this. Hmm. And I took notice. I was like, this is a real friend. They didn't just yeah. tell me, wow, that sermon is amazing. This is really good. They were like pointing out things. And then I felt like I could be comfortable with them. And I felt like in our friendship, we were trying to make each other better. Hmm. And we were open to being corrected Mm -hmm. because they could see stuff in me that I couldn't see in myself and vice versa. So I think that needs to develop. But what happens is is we we wanted like judge other people to make ourselves feel good. But the way this was, I haven't had this interaction before a lot in the Christian church where the interaction wasn't, the correction wasn't in no way to put the person down. It was actually wanting that person to be better than what, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they could, mm-hmm. you know, what they were currently. Yeah. And we both felt like this. And so I think that only can happen when you just really pray with people and when you really like want their well-being above and beyond mm-hmm. your reputation or your own well-being. Yeah. So much of it is about motives, right? That's right. About yeah. how we approach something. It's not not wrong necessarily something, but in what spirit do I do it? Do I do it in the spirit of truth and love Mm -hmm. or do it in my own empowerment or my own spirit? And then it suddenly becomes or can become lawlessness. Mm -hmm. In fact, in verse 12, it says that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was just reading um, in Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship, and he was talking about only the um, obedient believe and only the believers obey. And he said, mm. you can't have one without the other. Because mm. the faith is like when so, when Jesus called Matthew, he mm-hmm. called him to an action. He, mm. Matthew just didn't go, I really think Jesus Christ is Messiah and continue to count his money. Mm-hmm. He got up and moved. Yeah. And he did something with it. And so lots of times I think what happens, I just can't believe. When I was an atheist, I completely was like, I can't believe. But really what it came down to, I didn't want to stop smoking marijuana. I didn't want to stop having illicit relationships with girls. I didn't want to stop all these things that I knew that the Bible said don't do. Mm-hmm. Like I knew it said it. I knew I knew what was right and what was wrong, but I didn't want to give those things up. I didn't want to obey, so I didn't want to believe. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I got to a point where I was in a hospital bed with temporary amnesia from an overdose, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is not the life. If this is what life is worth, partying and this stuff, and this is where I end up, there's got to be something bigger. I didn't think it was Christianity, thought it was Buddhism, or, um, or you know, I really thought it was Buddhism. But then I found out, like, a lot of the really cool things in Buddhism are actually in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Really cool things in there. And then I was like, but the problem was is I felt like I didn't have a savior. I didn't have someone to help me. I felt like I had to do it on my own, and that was really depressing. Mm-hmm. And so then, when I wanted to change, and when I wanted to become a better person, Christ said, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. But... I can do it. That's right. And then I was then I was open to believing. And then I wanted him in my life and I wanted to be corrected because who wants to stay like we all have hang-ups and problems and brokenness? Who wants to stay that way? Yeah. Like who that's what's crazy. <laughs> who wants to stay? Those pleasures and unrighteousness are just not worth it being yeah. a broken individual. I want to be healed from my brokenness and my hang-ups and my problems and and yeah. eventually my pride mm-hmm. and my selfishness. It's that person that is the truth that sets us free, right? It's Jesus himself uh, that does that. What I find fascinating about this passage is that Paul is so real with them. Mm -hmm. Mm. They're struggling with, has Jesus come already and we just didn't see him yet? And it's a spiritual enlightenment or something like that. Mm. And Paul says, no, no, no. Um, Let me tell you what's going to happen. Let me be real with you. It's not going to be pretty. 
Uh, so often we'd like to make things pretty. Oh, it's all gonna, we, we tell people, Christian walk is a piece of cake, Jesus loves you and all that. And, yeah. and that is part of it, yes. God heals us and God, but there's also a, a difficult side to it. And here he doesn't have any quibbles to say, it's not always gonna be easy, it's gonna hurt sometimes. And you have to watch out. Mm -hmm. But he's real about it. And he says, don't be afraid. To me, that is what the basic message is in here. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Don't be afraid about what's going to come. Don't be afraid about where you are right now in terms of history, in terms of placement. Mm. Do not be afraid. And so often we make it about being afraid. In practical terms, how would you relate that or how would you make that practical for, for people in everyday life? I'm, I'm just thinking that some of this whole idea that it's a piece of cake Christianity really comes from maybe a Western worldview. And I'm sure mm -hmm. some people um, right now, maybe even listening to this program, are like, it's not a piece of cake. Mm -hmm. My life is in danger. Or, um, you know, my family is basically cutting me off. Yeah. And so sometimes I think that because the Western world's so Christian, we forget we take our worldview and say, hey, this is a very comfortable life, and impose it upon people. And then some Christians, they're going through a tough time. And they, and they are so close to God at that time. I think sometimes our piece of cake Christianity is actually is keep, keeping us away because we get so comfortable creating a world of peace on our own that we don't rely upon Christ. Mm -hmm. And then little things happen and we, we get scared and worried. All and it's like almost like temporary atheism. Mm -hmm. Like God, Why? God doesn't Why do, you do this? part the Red Sea. He didn't create a flood. Mm -hmm. He didn't, you know, raise the dead. He can't even help me with this little problem. We start thinking that way, like he doesn't exist. Like he can't help my problems. He can't fix it. I was like, maybe a little good, a little dosage of suffering and persecution <laughs> might actually draw us closer to Christ. Not that it's from him or that he would want to do that, but I do believe that he is right there feeling our pain ready to catch us. Mm -hmm. So we have nothing to worry about. He feels what we're feeling. He knows what we're going through. He's right there. That's right. How would you make that practical? Of knowing that God is there? Mm-hmm. Explain your question a little more. The practical aspect of this fear, these people that lived in fear, how do you feel that that would make it, how, how would that release people from fear if they lived like this before? And what is Paul trying to do in shifting this fear to Jesus? How would that be practical in, in today's life? The first thing that comes to mind is the text that says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind. And maybe it comes to the whole point of, you're you're fearful of the things that you put your focus on, um, you know. If you if you if you put your focus on you know the the end time events or you know the things that are going to come up in this world, you know you're you're almost setting yourself up to um, to take your eyes off of Jesus. And maybe it's just on a practical level is encouraging people not just for the future, but today, you know, because today is going to prepare me for the future. Am I setting my eyes on Jesus? Am I spending time looking into His face, you know, by reading His Word, by praying, by studying, by putting my whole energy into making Jesus is my personal friend? Because I'm not scared of the dark when I'm with my friend, you know? It's mm -hmm. like you have that that bond of unity that's going to get you through. Jesus And it's focusing on Jesus now. It is, exactly. Jesus is the truth. He will set us free, and He will give us peace of mind, 
and he will prevent us from being afraid. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for our lively discussion. If you would like to contact us, please visit our website at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool, the letter U, .org. Remember the goal of Bible study is information and transformation, and yes, you know it, it's for the head and for the heart. For Sabbath School U, I'm Michael Mueller. We'll see you next week.